All right, all right. Darby Cast Economics Wednesday. A lot of you are thinking right now, I know this, I know you're thinking this, saying, how are you going to follow up on Monday's episode? Fly away. That was Liddy City. That was Liddy like a kitty. Both the smartest and the stupidest episode of the Darby Cast to date. And I don't disagree with that. It was, what a journey that was, wasn't it? Today is Economics Wednesday, though. And if you've been listening for a couple weeks, you've noticed that Wednesdays have turned into Folklore Wednesdays. Wildcard Friday still exists. If I cared to flip-flop them to heighten the alliteration of the days of the week, I suppose I could, but I don't want to. Yeah, I could easily have Folklore Fridays and Wildcard Wednesdays, but let's just not, right? I do feel somewhat of an obligation if I am doing an Economics Wednesday. I've been having a lot of fun with the German folklore. I'm not going to lie. I think the stories are they're interesting. They're very thematically, boy, are they a change of pace from anything that you could potentially watch on television where it's the same recycled garbage ad infinitum. But because this is an Economics Wednesday, I do kind of feel an obligation to the Darby Cast doctors to kind of say, hey, things could get weird pretty rapidly, actually. I'm not saying it absolutely will, but it could. An interesting rule that I live by is hope for sunshine, but pack an umbrella. And so whatever that looks like, For you, I'll tell you what it probably should look like. Make like a nice little economic disaster kit. What does that look like? That looks like an earthquake kit that lasts about a month. Okay, because coronavirus is one thing, but, you know, you talk about California, you talk about the entire state shutting down again, for the most part. And California is a, if it were taken as its own country, it'd be like the sixth largest economy in the world. And so when you shut down California, that's going to send echoes and ripples throughout the global economy, certainly through the US economy. A lot of our GDP is for the entire country is in the Silicon Valley and in LA, in Hollywood. So a lot of businesses are trying to stay afloat, but a lot of businesses are going to go under. Lockdown two, I think this is going to be Somewhat of a killing blow for so many different businesses, which is really, really unfortunate. But it's not just unfortunate. It it should make people feel a little bit alarmed. Okay. With all of the goings on, the crescendo at the end of the first lockdown that culminated in widespread protests in every major urban center across the United States. If you saw any of the things that went a little haywire and there were peaceful protests in some places, but boy, did things get out of hand in a lot of places. Okay. And I think lockdown two, I think you want to be prepared. I think you want to be prepared for a little bit, potentially more chaos, more widespread. And that's super unfortunate. And it may not happen. It may not happen, but I'll go back to the phrase hope for sunshine, but pack an umbrella. I could go on about a lot of kind of the undercurrents going on, the economics underneath, 
the surface of what would appear to be social movements. Every social movement is very much rooted in economics. And if anybody's not seeing that, it's like, what, um, who raised you? Um, Where did you go to school? But that's another, that's another podcast altogether, talking school. Anywho, yeah, there's plenty of things to talk about, but with our society being as interconnected, our institutions and our infrastructure basically being entirely digitized, but still having vulnerabilities, it's a very wacky time where a lot can get knocked out really quickly. And so I would like it if anybody who listens to this show were completely prepared for at least a month. So just gallon of water per person per day. And I don't know, at least 1400 calories, maybe 2000 calories per person per day. Antibacterial soap, disposable uh, utensils, plates, things like that. The list goes on. And if I get a bunch of feedback and people are like, oh, tell us what to tell us what to get. Make hey shopping list. What do you got? Uh, I could I guess I could go into that. But yeah, our economy is certainly in a state of disequilibrium. And coronavirus is one thing and it can be a terrible thing. I've heard of people really, really struggling once they catch it. Vulnerable populations really struggling. But the thing that I think we should be most worried about is truly structural unemployment that lasts for an extended period of time. There is definitely a relationship between young men not having a lot to do and violence. The numbers are out. I read a couple studies the other day and yeah, you just see that relationship. You don't want young men with nothing to do. So that is why the economic situation is actually probably more pressing in a lot of ways than the virus itself. If we don't figure out what to, how we can occupy people's time, especially young men who don't necessarily have a lot of an opportunity cost, let me put it to you this way. If you've got an individual who feels like they have nothing to lose, that's a very dangerous person, potentially. So if you take away people's right to work and you say, oh, it's, we got to go on lockdown again. If you're, you know, if you're Gavin Newsom and you're saying, oh, well, we got to shut everything down. We got to shut a lot of stuff down. That's a really scary proposition. It totally is. And I know the Darby cast, it can usually be a little bit more wacky, jovial, upbeat. But I don't know, perhaps I should be sincere and say, pack that umbrella. Because if people aren't allowed to work and we have sustained high levels of unemployment, and we have dudes with nothing but time on their hands, and they don't necessarily see themselves having a strong economic future or an ability to have a successful relationship, have a family, buy a house. If these are things that seem entirely inaccessible to a large majority of men who are out of work, that has the potential to be very, very chaotic. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I find it very interesting that we continue to pay people to stay home. I wish we would utilize those funds and say, hey, 
you have to do stuff that's productive to receive this money, you know, like a job. Because incentivizing people to come up with their own game plan, eh, it doesn't always go so well, right? But currently what's going on, I mean, there's so much going on, but I think right now we're having a crisis with young men in terms of their purpose and identity. When a guy is out of work and I'm, ladies, I, this, unfortunately, this is like a phenomenon that doesn't affect you in the same way. It might for some of you that's, I don't generally speak in absolutes, but I generally, I think this can be a little bit more pressing for young dudes just because when dudes don't have enough to do, they can make a much bigger mess potentially than, uh, than you gals. You tend to, uh, do the cyber bullying, uh, dudes tend to do some carnage. So I'm interested in, in a jobs program, whatever that might look like. I have no clue why that hasn't been the focal topic of discussion this entire time is how do we make sure that we have as much labor force participation, especially with young dudes as is possible. That should be the number one priority. The virus, I don't want to discount it. I really don't. I still don't know enough about it, which is entirely maddening. I think a lot of people are feeling that Phil Collins vibe. He has a song, it's called Land of Confusion. Lesser known song, really great. Kyle, I know you like Phil Collins. Who doesn't? But yeah, there's so much information out there. There's information, misinformation that's just wrong. And then there's disinformation that's deliberately wrong. And I think it's very hard to make sense of the world right now. And then you combine that with a lack of economic opportunity. And then you couple that with such a high level of visibility uh, between the haves and the have nots. I think one thing that's never been higher is relative deprivation. And what that means is I want something. I see that somebody else has something. I think I deserve that thing. And then the show begins. That is kind of one of the conundrums that exists as a direct result of social media. So although a lot of people have typically, we've had, life has actually been pretty good. It really has for a number of years. It's been on a steady decline. Our economy's uh, been kind of a weird uh, zombie finance monstrosity, kind of this Frankenstein beast where there's a lot of really monetary tinkering that goes into it that keeps our economy doing something, even though the purchasing power of the dollar has gone down by like 98, 99% since 1900. It's, it's insane. So there are real economic issues going on right now. There are some very, very real economic issues going on. I write about this in the second Derbyshire book, there's a lot of talk of the interplay between really social justice and the underlying frustration behind a lot of these movements, which is almost entirely exclusively rooted in economics. And 
I think that is kind of the whole smoke and mirrors dog and pony show of this whole thing is you get these social movements that are very emotionally appealing. Uh, They cause people to feel compelled to act. But if people understood how deeply rooted most people's frustration was in economics rather than necessarily in identity politics, you would have you'd have a different conversation going right now. And I think the people at the tippy top of society, they know this. They definitely know this. So that's that's a big challenge right now is getting people to be like, hey, like, I know you're feeling very, very worked up about these issues, but a lot of your frustration can be solved by looking at larger economic issues and pushing for more economic reform than necessarily pushing at this kind of chaotic anarchist protest uh, style, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, prosperity is not really achieved by protesting, unfortunately. It's a much longer process. We know this, but I think a lot of people know this, but there are insanely high levels of frustration going on right now. And it has to do with economics. I've talked with so many people who feel discouraged about starting a family, having children, because they say, oh, I can't afford it. I simply can't afford it. And when that seems to be the case, I think for the first time in American history that you really have kids who feel like, not just feel like, but kids who aren't going to do as well as their parents and aren't going to achieve the same kind of life milestones. That is the direction it's headed, at least. And that is infuriating for so many people that you wouldn't be able to either stay at the standard of living and follow in your parents' footsteps or potentially do better. That's totally infuriating for a country that has been so successful for so long. And so there's a wide variety of factors that go into those economics just not adding up. The, the numbers just don't add up. You, I mean, you have the, again, purchasing power of the dollar has gone down. Wages have been relatively stagnant. You've had a foreign labor influx who's willing to accept lower wages and actually have, on a relative basis, probably a higher standard of living than they did in whatever country they may have come from. Depends on where they came from, but could potentially, on a relative basis, be doing much better even though they're making a lot less than what an American who's grown up and has seen their parents have, you know, X, Y, and Z and be able to buy a house, have a couple kids, go on vacation, have a couple cars, have all these, these pleasantries, which were really kind of, that was part of the American way of life is having these life milestones. There are definitely two sides to it where I think you've got kind of an older generation who looks at this new generation and say, oh, you don't work hard. And you've got the younger generation saying like, well, the world's insane and it isn't quite as easy. Um, And they say, well, we didn't have it easy. And it's very tough to reconcile those two standpoints. So I understand the frustration of young people. I certainly do. And I also appreciate the stance of, uh, you know, the, the parents who, uh, who have been in in the country, who are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, you know, maybe even their 70s, 
who are saying like, oh, kids these days, they don't work hard enough. Because I mean, there is a lot of that too. It's tough to put your finger on this. But all in all, what I'll say is a lot of this social unrest is, of course, rooted in economics. And that's, uh, that's what I got for you. Pack an umbrella, hope for sunshine. And now some folklore. King Thrushbeard. Why not get into good old King Thrushbeard? This kind of actually plays into that theme that I was just talking about, which is the entitled youth and the value of hard work. Because I think some of uh, the young folks in our society could use a, a tall glass of, hey, why don't you just go out and you do something, do some hard work. But yeah, I understand there's a lot of economic challenges, but King Thrushbeard. So you've got this princess and she is really into herself. She thinks she's pretty sweet. If cell phones were around, she'd be taking about 40 selfies before she even ate breakfast. She thinks she's sweet. She thinks she's got it all figured out. A bunch of dudes, for whatever reason, are into it. And they're like, hey, I like you. You're incredibly vain and shallow. How can we do this the honest way? How can we get together and raise a family? And she's kind of impressed with one of the dudes. Because most of those dudes, surprise, surprise, were after this skank in spirit. She's not like, she's not sleeping around, but she's a skank in spirit, I guess. If you want to call it that, I'll call it that. She's kind of impressed with the last dude, but she's too proud. She, she's like, no, nope, no deal. Cause she's too into herself. And he's this young King and he's got a very bushy, thick beard. And it looks like a thrush's beak. So a thrush is a bird with a very, eh, there's a couple different species of thrush, but the one that she's referring to, big, thick beak. Usually she's going pretty nuts for a thick beak, if you know what I mean, but she heckles him. She's, she's a little insecure, so she likes, to, uh, she likes to chuck shade. So she dubs him, you're King Thrushbeard. <laughs> oh my God. Did anybody hear that? And he's pissed. He's like, what? What am I even doing here? This chick sucks. And the girl's father, a king, he is the king. He's pissed. He's like, listen, babe, you are not my favorite. The king is just absolutely pissed because truth be told, he kind of wants to get his daughter off his hands. She's just such a brat. She's terrible. And a lot of these bros who showed up were truthfully probably out of her league, all things considered. Her 29th birthday was coming up and the king was just like, oh man, she has no sense of a biological clock. She like, she needs to just get it going sooner rather than later. So he's pissed. He goes up to his quarters. He's looking at himself in the mirror and he's like, ah, I don't care who shows up tomorrow. We're going to run this drill again. We're going to run it back. Whoever shows up tomorrow, whether they are, you know, some medieval stoner, a uh, guy who shovels horse manure or a king, I just don't even care. 
My daughter is a train wreck. I thought I did a good job, but for reasons unknown, she has turned out to be just an absolute harpy. I hate things. And so as he's kind of giving himself this really uh, power pep talk, somebody down about 30 feet below the castle overhears this. And it's like, got him. Better show up first tomorrow. Got him. This guy, he's like, yeah, I could bag myself a wife. Like, yeah, maybe she's hot. Like, we'll see how it goes. So the next day, a young minstrel with a clean shaven face appears at the palace. And the king's like, yep, done. All right. You guy with the uh, guy with that little guitar. Why don't you come over here? You're going to marry my daughter. Done deal. You in? And low key, the minstrel's like, uh, I don't even know. She doesn't look strong. She doesn't look capable of any practical work. Like, does she know how to cook? Does she know how to do anything that I would enjoy? Can she help me out in doing stuff? And the king was like, yeah, probably not. But here's the deal. You're, you're poor and you're like this little guitar playing idiot. And you got to take this chick. You got to take her. Beggars can't be choosers. Don't be an idiot. And so the minstrel's like, he just kind of like plays some tunes on his guitar, like, I don't like your daughter very much, but I will plow her nonetheless. And she's not about it. Katrina, the princess, is not about it. Because this guy, the minstrel, he's a commoner. I mean, she turned down a bunch of bros, some high net worth individuals the day prior. She's kind of kicking herself a little bit. And she's like, why didn't I just marry Rich? Now I got to hang out with this guy and he's probably going to be hitting me up all the time and be like, hey, babe, like I just wrote a new song. What do you think about this? And that sounds like it's going to get pretty tired pretty quick. But she has to marry him and he takes her away from the palace in which she grew up and takes her home. And they travel to the guy's house And as they're going there, they pass by the fine lands and properties of that fella, King Thrushbeard, the guy that she heckled, but she was too proud, too vain to be like, maybe I could go on that guy's team and see uh, if we could give it a go. The princess, as she's walking with this commoner to his uh, shack, she's like, boy, did I blow it. I regret calling that guy a name, King Thrushbeard. I regret that. So they get to the minstrel's house and it is described as a house only fit for swine. So the place, yes, it's a pigsty. And the minstrel treats her as that she's just, uh, you know, a run-of-the-mill wench. And he's like, all right, get to work. Start cleaning the house. Bake something if you can. Um, I'm going to have you sit at the pottery wheel. You're going to throw some clay on there. You're going to make some pots. Take it into town, sell it. So he's going hard. I feel like that's an odd thing. Like you get married and then all of a sudden it's like, no honeymoon, babe. Why don't you get that pottery wheel? You know, make yourself useful, huh? And she's just dog shit at throwing clay. And the minstrel's like, listen, just, you know what? Get out of here. 
why don't you just go be a servant at King Thrushbeard's castle? Maybe you can learn some skills there. And then you come back with a different attitude. Maybe you learn how to throw some clay on a uh, pottery wheel and maybe make us a little bit of scratch while I work on my album that I'm about to drop. Nobody's going to see this album coming. I've got a lot of heat and a lot of truth to spit at this kingdom, but I need you to step up and, you know, kind of pay the bills a little bit. The money's coming, babe. Have faith in me. So the princess goes over to, uh, goes over to the palace and she's like kind of ashamed that she's got to work for a dude that she was like, get out of here. I'm better than you. What a role reversal. So she's still feeling the regret and she puts her pride aside. She kind of has this aha moment. She's like, you know what? My husband is going to drop that dirt, nasty medieval album. And he's got, he's working on a song that's called medieval lesbian and it's going to slap. Yeah. He's kind of working on it in the down hours. He's like, there's a fire in her eyes and she's always on the run. She's a medieval lesbian. And the gal, Katrina, she hears that and she's like, that is the most honest take I've ever heard. Keep going. Yeah, he's just dropping verses left and right. Eye for an eye and witch's brew. Six plus nine equals dinner for two. And Katrina's just hearing this and she's like, oh, I got to make this happen for my guy. So she's doing the chores at the castle and she starts to develop a sense of kind of a little bit of compassion. She's feeling her husband's music. She sees mice in the castle. She sees mice in her house. She starts feeding the mice and she's like, you guys deserve this. Let me give it to you. And her life, she's getting acclimatized. And she's like, you know what? I'm finding deep satisfaction and meaning in taking care of those around me, even if they are just mice. This is better than being a self-centered piece of trash. It turns out that helping people makes me, and mice, makes me feel good. What was I even doing beforehand? She's getting the swing of things. And one day, Katrina, she discovers that King Thrushbeard is getting married. And for whatever reason, he wants to dance with all the servants. And she's got to go in the great hall. And he's there. And he's like, all right, babe, you and me, let's take a little dance. Why not? And he's doing some pretty cool moves. He's a king after all. And he twirls her. But what happens then? Her pockets burst open with scraps of food that she's been using to feed the mice out of the goodness of her heart that used to be just made of stone, but it's quickly turning into a heart of flame, right? You get it. But scraps of food, they just fall and they fly all over the floor. They make a mess. And everybody in the court, everybody in the hall, they start laughing. They're like, ha ha, look at that stupid chick. Oh, you carry those little scraps of bread in your pockets, huh? Huh? Little bread pocket? Like almost on par with the name King Thrushbeard. Almost as disparaging. Be like, hey, look at all bread pockets over there. People are laughing. 
and she's devastated. She feels very embarrassed. She runs out of the hall. She's crying. And as she's crying, she's rattled. She ends up tripping and falling. She eats it pretty hard, actually. She falls over way too hard. And to her surprise, somebody helps her up and dressed all of a sudden in the king's finery is the minstrel, her husband, who smiles and says, why are you crying on your wedding day? And she's like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, I'm King Thrushbeard. I shaved my face. I've been kicking it with you all along. The guy who you just danced with, he was a stunt devil. I paid him a couple gold coins. He nailed it. He had you fooled. And then the minstrel, who technically is King Thrushbeard, he says, hey, babe, I kind of started to fall for you, even though you were a real piece of work. You were, uh, I didn't like you a whole lot, but then you started showing up for the community. And you really let me explore, kind of have that exploratory phase of my musical career. And I needed that. And I also made a promise to your pops that I'd marry you and I'm going to follow through on that. And she's like, what? Like, this is a serious long con, man. Like, I can't believe you had the patience for it. And he was like, yeah, listen, I had to cure your proud and spoiled ways and kind of punish you a little bit for your cruelty towards me. It's only fair. Right, babe? And she's like, thanks, I guess. Um, I guess now I am a little bit more compassionate, more sensible. I've found my feminine touch. And in a big call out, probably the biggest call out of the story, she's like, I don't even know if I'm worthy to be your wife, to be honest with you. I was a real brat. I don't feel like a princess. I, I just don't. But he looks her in the eye. He says, chin up, Katrina. You feeding those mice and kind of tidying up around the castle, it's changed a lot of what's going on inside you. You're not so self-obsessed, and actually, you're kind of nice to be around. In fact, I like being around you a lot. I think we should just get married and do it right. And then Katrina's like, all right, grow your beard back. Come on. And then he does. He grows it, he grows it back, and he goes by King Thrushbeard. And then her father just shows up on the scene and he's like, not bad. He's pretty old at this point. And then they rage. That's not part of the story, but I added that. I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic story. That is a fantastic story that really speaks to the entitled brat, which I think you've got plenty of them in this crazy world of ours. Things are tough economically, but you still got some entitled brats, right? People are clawing tooth and nail, trying to make it work, trying to survive. And then you've got like these, you know, punk kids who are like, I'm a commie. And it's like, "Eh, you're just coasting off your parents' stuff. And you're not really, uh, there's a reason people don't like you. And so it's like, hey, rich fat cats, if you don't want your kids to turn out to be these little commie assholes, like, why don't you just get them a job? That time may be over to have like a retail job or table waiting. I don't know if restaurants will ever open again, but I think there is something that is so humbling about being in the service industry and you gain such 
compassion and you get to really interact with people and have a better understanding of not only yourself, but the world when you are thrust into a situation where it's like, ah, what am I doing? And you know, it doesn't matter how many Instagram followers you have. Your, your pops just says, sorry, you're getting married. And I don't know if that really flies these days, like an arranged marriage, but very cool stuff. Very cool stuff. So the Brothers Grimm really nailed it in a lot of ways. They totally did. But yeah, that's the Darby Cast Economics Wednesday. Like it, share, subscribe. I know this one was all over the place and it started out in a real serious tone, but hopefully I ended on a hot uh, little folklore shebang that you were like, fuck yeah. All right, this is what I came for. This is what I like. Cool, you're a good dude. Yeah, and uh, we'll be back on Friday, a little wild card Friday. Oh, Wild Card Friday, Darby Cast. Woo!